So, and Brandon, are you in um, IOTC? I'm in IOTC 489. Okay. Nice. I'm in 488. <laughs> All right. Wow. Look at you guys. My my buddy made a info, like unofficial IOTC shirts for our local that are uh, 420 plus 69 equals 489. <laughs> We're not that cool. <laughs> We're not as cool as I just made us sound. Fair. We'll do it live. Live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right, so this will be our live show for this week. And tonight we got myself, Mikey Him from the Trend Lefts Podcast. We got Brandon He Him from the Cars and Comrades Podcast. Evan He Him from the Left of the Projector Podcast. And our guest is Claire They Them from IOTSI <laughs> from 488, you said? 488. Portland, Oregon is where I'm from. Uh, we encompass Oregon, Washington, Northern Idaho, and Montana. Oh, yeah. Oh, do you know Dahl? I don't think a so. He's a friend of mine. I wasn't sure his local, but he's Portland. He's, uh, he's IOC Portland, so. Oh, interesting. Uh, t- could be 28, could be be 52. We got a few different branches over here, different different crafts, though. Okay, same. Yeah, he, he does stagehand stuff, and we, we have the That's same division here. Where we ha- okay, yeah, we, we have a local for stagehand stuff and a local for film stuff. Yeah. That would have been wild yeah. if they're like, oh, yeah, I know him. <laughs> That's why I had to ask, man. I do know some people in 28 because I came from theater originally, um, but I'm not like in that world anymore, really. Fair enough. I think he's he's new. Well, that's uh, obviously what we're talking about tonight. I'm going to talk about the the strikes that are going on. And I'm just going to hand it to you, Evan and Claire, because you guys obviously have the really good questions and notes to talk about. And I'm just kind of a spectator (laughs) in this whole situation. No, I mean, you should. I I think, Brandon, also, you probably have input from union experience. Only rage. Well, so I guess really the, the, like, the, I guess the first thing that I would just has for Claire to like give some, you already said what union you're in and, you know, some, any, any background that kind of gives some, just a sense of, uh, what you're doing now and how it might fit into all this. Sure. Feel free um, to describe it as spineless. You won't offend me. <laughs> um, Actually, I do have a slight disclaimer because I'm a member. I'm also an elected representative in my local. So any opinions I express tonight are my own. They do not represent my local and they do not represent the IOTSI as a whole organization. Um, (laughs) Now that I've said a mouthful, um, I'm a makeup artist, prosthetic makeup artist. I work mostly in film and television, mostly in film, more than television, just by nature of the market that I work in. We get a lot of uh, features. We get a lot of streaming stuff. So this uh, strike actually really does affect us in my area a lot because of what the what the strike is all about. Um, and it really does come down a lot to the streaming model that all of these studios and networks are doing. Um, I guess I can just kind of jump right into a quick breakdown of what the strike is about. Um, yeah, I think that would be yeah. helpful for everyone. <laughs> so we have two different uh, film and television industry locals that are on, or excuse me, unions that are on strike right now. We have the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, which is actually two unions in one. They have an East Division and a West Division, which are actually separate organizations, but they work together on contract negotiations and strike actions. So they cover all of the writers. And they went on strike. Oh, man, Uh, I did not write down the exact date, but they've been on strike for weeks now. Um, And then the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of TV and Radio Artists, which is kind of a conglomerate union that joined together in uh, 2012. They are also on strike now. 
um, they're striking over a lot of the same issues. So one of the big uh, hot buttons right now is the use of AI in film and television, both as a writing tool to replace writers and as a tool to uh, basically eliminate the position of background actors. Um, when people think of actors and sag after, they tend to think of the celebrities, the millionaires, and so there's a, a disconnect with the people that are actually striking. sag after has 160,000 members, and a majority of them are actually background actors, or they get little guest spots here and there. They're not making millions and millions of dollars. Um, one of the other big issues that they're striking over is the lack of residuals from the streaming model. Uh, residuals are payments that go out to writers and actors. Uh, stunt people even like anybody that's covered by these unions they get small payments anytime their show is syndicated or rerun or sold to another uh platform basically what do you mean we lack of residuals i just saw someone on on instagram post their three cent check for the quarter for the show <laughs> right. well, that, was emma, that was emma miles from orange is the new black right i think she got uh, no hers was like 27 dollars and three cents excuse me 30 cents all in uh, no, it, was, it was one of the the actresses from uh reservation dogs Post, wow. Posted a three cent check, which is wow. such a great show. Jesus Christ, it is yeah. so good. Yeah, so in another lifetime, uh, before the streaming <laughs> model came around, those residual payments would actually really help like tide people over uh, in between jobs because this is gig work. We're all freelancers, we're all gig workers, we're all hustling for the next job, and there's big drought. So, those residual, those residual checks would tide people over. But the other thing that they fund is healthcare and retirement pensions which are also seeing a massive hit in our union as well, because we don't have anything funding those because everything's on streaming. And these streamers and studios and networks have all argued that streaming and new media is an unproven platform that they don't know if it's going to really work or not. And they've been arguing that for like, I don't know what, 20 years now. So those yeah, are, Netflix those got are what, like 80 good. million people who subscribe now. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's more than that. It's in the hundreds of millions because they're a worldwide platform. They are raking in money. Like it's obscene. no, but they must be struggling because they had to cut down on the password sharing, of course. So they right. must be really <laughs> so hard. Okay. So hard, obviously there's a lot of metrics that they're not doing as well as they once were. And, and that's fine because at no point were they ever willing to treat like anybody no. making the content as though it was anything other than experimental, e even after they've made their nut. I think I described, I might've been in our chat earlier or somebody else I was talking to about this at best, the people that make these shows and movies were treated like a nuisance. And that's at best for the most part, it's more like we're a problem that needs to be solved. And currently the plan is, I guess, AI and, um, still not paying residuals into our healthcare and retirement, which is honestly the reason a lot of us join these unions. Like <laughs> as a really fun side note, I saw someone point out that uh, AI would actually be legitimately a lot more effective at taking over the role of producers than it would be at taking over the creative roles. Well, and here's the other thing too. Uh, one of the other unions that just negotiated their contracts was the DGA, the director's guild of America. And they settled they have an AI clause about generative AI, which is the stuff that we think of when we're seeing like the mid journey stuff and like the AI generated films that are coming out. But they didn't have anything in there really that I saw about AI that can do a schedule better or that can uh, plan a shoot better or budget better. There's nothing in there that I saw to protect the DGA jobs. Um, but what I was going to say is 
this is a historic strike right now because we have these two unions on strike at the same time. The last time this happened was in 1960. So it's been 63 years since SAG and uh, WGA were on strike and they struck over the same stuff. They were striking over residuals. They were striking over healthcare and pension because there was this new you know, technology called TV. So all the feature films that were being released in the theater were being sold to these TV platforms. And there was no money coming in. Again. Right. And there was no com- money coming in to the people that made the, the feature films. So it's just interesting seeing history repeating itself, I guess. I'm, well, maybe not interesting, depressing, <laughs> tragic. <Yeah. laughs> and I think you should. Wait, I think it's the iteration where it's parody, or is, are we at farce yet? Honestly. <laughs> well, and I think this funny, not funny is the wrong word again, that you yeah. mentioned the first time in 63 years at that time. When the previous strike happened, I think we were talking about this earlier, is that Ronald Reagan oh, was <laughs> was at the at the heart of this, you know, famous the devil himself, the devil yeah. himself, you know, had to had to he didn't want the uh, any trickle down of residuals to his uh, union members, I guess. But, but the funny thing is, yeah, is he, he was the president of sag after and he led that strike. Yeah. Can I ask? What was the result of that strike when they negotiated some kind of bargain eventually? They won. Was it something that was like... They won. Okay. They won did they their, want everything they asked for or did they have to like really compromise? Because I haven't dug too much into the specifics of it. But like I said, those main points were the residuals and they won those. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that residuals were granted to writers and to actors. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm curious because I would hope to see obviously the same result. I would like to see actors and writers really negotiate to just have no AI at all or at the very minimum like when it can be used at the approval of the writers and actors themselves to actually help them in their jobs and not just replace them well the scanning stuff that they're talking about is kind of already happening we already see like on like a grand scale like on the marvel movies for example we see them scan background to fill them in into larger scenes where it's not necessarily safe to have background actors because they've already got some performers doing crazy things and so they just clone them and fill them in digitally that's great actually yeah well, and it's done with consent. And that's that's the important part is that it's done with their consent. But what the, the proposal is, at least what's being reported, is that the uh, AMPTP wants to do a full body scan of background actors, pay them for one day's rate, which is like 150 bucks, and then have rights to use that likeness however they want in whatever project they want in perpetuity, which is a horrible contract phrase that needs to be retired. And this, I have to also mention at this point that for anyone out there who has seen the show um, Black Mirror, the most recent season, first episode, is basically this exact thing happening right now. A person being created as like a real-time show. I won't ruin the whole episode, you know, for people who want to see it, but it's disturbingly... It's really spot on. Um, The the AI thing's kind of been at the edges of the industry for a while, and sort of like, you know, science fiction writers of the past, it's not necessarily that they're psychic or anything like that. It's just very easy to see the route that all of this can take. Like we've already seen mid journey and programs like that, taking jobs away from concept artists and illustrators. It's, it's not a stretch to see how it can be applied to the film industry and render all of the rest of us obsolete as well. Yeah. And honestly, like, uh, and and I'm asking more than I'm I'm asserting, but it seems like a union busting technique, because if you Mm -hmm. take any individual and scan, scan their likely, like their likeness, and then that's just free use from, from then on out. It, it exactly. seems like you have effectively gotten from that single person what you need. And in return, they have gotten one single day's work based on what the, the studios are offering. Well, it goes beyond that, actually. 
Um, not only does it affect the the SAG actors and the background actors, but it starts affecting IOTSI as well. Because IOTSI covers all of the like the the skilled craft. So it's costumes, it's makeup, it's hairstylists, uh, it's props. Um, you so we have entire teams of people that are devoted just to getting background artists ready. And all of a sudden, if you have all of these cloned backgrounds that are AI scans and you can do whatever you want to digitally, well, you don't have a need for those makeup artists or those hairstylists or those costumers or those assistant props people. You can just do whatever you want and you've eliminated a huge swath of workers. So it's not only busting SAG, but it's also busting us. Yeah, it has vast repercussions to just the entire industry because they figure... Right. Wherever they can save money. And and we all should say, as everyone probably listening already knows, is that these producers and not producers, these heads of these companies are making massive, massive amounts of money. Like they're not hundreds of millions of dollars. Me. I want to say David Zaslav's salary was something like close to half a billion dollars in a year. And meanwhile, 87 percent of SAG after members don't work enough to qualify for their health insurance, which is a whopping $26,000. Like that's not, that's barely above the poverty line or at it. Yeah, you're right. He makes, um, Warner brothers, uh, Zalov makes $246 million a year. And that's really uh, interesting. What's his home address? <laughs> I bet it wouldn't that's be too hard be to in find. That's going to be in the show notes. Show notes. <laughs> Uh, also in the show notes, we're going to put that graph that you linked, uh, Evan, because that was very relevant to what you're talking about now. It had it was the compensation of these executives versus like what they're yeah. now saying the employee should make. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's a different one. So this one, the one that I had shared also is worth interesting. It shows how much like and Reed Hastings is the head of Netflix and he makes 50 million dollars a year. But the performance of Netflix stock has dropped 50 percent. So I don't know. I mean, there is kind of an interesting thing saying, well, like they're not quote unquote profitable to their, you know, to their uh shareholders, but he still benefits greatly because Well and those CEOs jobs I've seen so I'm in a lot of groups on Facebook and social media because I like to pay attention to things. Um it's kind of my job as an elected representative. But one of the things I've noticed is actually there are people that are bootlicking for these fucking CEOs and calling Gross. them like a, a everything but a job creator. And literally their only job is to make their shareholders money. They don't care about the rest of it. They don't care about quality. They don't care about the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of us that rely on this industry to make a living. I'm one of them. Like I do this full time. There are plenty of other people that have other survival jobs. I don't like. Can I ask a, 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 <laughs> can I ask a question that maybe not exactly related? Sure. And because you, you mentioned like how the CEOs essentially, they don't care if things are good, right? They're just making yeah. content, especially if it's, you know, a reality TV show that costs them less, but then is can be very popular. Yeah. Is it true that Netflix intentionally can shows after only a couple seasons because it's cheaper and they don't have to pay yes. unionized workers? Okay. So in, in the IOTSI structure, and I don't know as much about SAG and WGA contracts as I would like. I'm working on learning them actually. Um, with IATSE, you get paid a certain amount for your first season. If you go to a second season, you get paid more and they put more into your retirement benefits. So they will cancel things after the first season so they don't have to pay the second season bump. Unless it's like a blockbuster, you know, like it's like very Stranger popular. Things. They, yeah. Right. Stranger, honestly, it's an outlier at this point. I cannot tell you how many shows on Netflix specifically I've been super into. And before I've even finished the season, they've already canceled it. Agreed. Uh, I've. I don't know this to be true, but I've always heard that it was three seasons was a hard stop. If if you if a show made it to three seasons, it was done unless it was an 
absolute blockbuster. Oh, are you talking things. about in, uh, Netflix specifically Netflix. or just in general? I don't know, honestly, because I, I, I have, I've never worked on a Netflix show that went to three seasons. Um, the Netflix projects I've worked on, one of them got canceled after one season and the other one was a movie. Um, so I don't know. It's entirely possible. But um, the number of shows that I can think of that I watch on Netflix that have made it beyond a season three is a handful of them. And they're canceling them at four or five now. And I think feel like some of the ones I've seen that do make it maybe to a third season tend to have like a very small cast. It's probably like generally like somewhat low. When I say low budget. I mean, like less budget. There's not like special effects and things like that. Sure. So it probably is easier for them to to do it because yeah, on other probably. streaming platforms, I feel like they go. Well, I don't know. Like three seasons is pretty, pretty long for a show. Yeah. You know, that that has a ring of truth to it. I was trying to I was trying to think of other shows that I watch on other platforms. And there's some that I've watched that I'm like, nobody's talking about this show. How did it get renewed? Like, um, not to, to call anything out specifically, but like, I really enjoy Avenue 5 on HBO Max, which is the Hugh Laurie in space one. I love that show. I don't know anyone else who's watching it besides the people in my household yet. It's on it's completed season two and I believe moving on to season three, but I watched that. Yeah. It, yeah. Is it because there's so many shows that it's so it's difficult for shows to catch on? Cause you have Netflix and Apple and HBO and you have all Probably. these platforms. Make- well, HBO can be an outlier too, for the very specific reason that it seems to be run by lunatics who are trying to drive <laughs> the company into the ground. That's a fairly like, recent that, change. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's not. It's it's gotten worse recently, but it has been the case for a minute. Yeah. And like, you're right. Avenue five is legitimately like a really, well, I don't know if I'll say good. I haven't watched it in a little bit, but it's fun. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I'll watch, I'll watch Hugh Laurie read the phone book, but like the show itself is fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, like our flag means death had to have a fan base, a rabid fan base to get a season two. Um, mm. which is another HBO Max that everybody was talking about, yet they sat on the renewal for, God, a year. It um, has to be like a show that becomes like a cultural phenomenon or it's right. based on some book series that's very long, you know, like Game of Thrones or something like where just they're going to throw Plus you have to uh, you have to compete with the real cash cow, which is all these movies starring Bruce Willis, which is just like... <laughs> Elderly and in, an infirm, like exploitation. Like the the man is literally disabled. He's got like a condition. Well, he's not. I don't think he's. I think he's retired now. But oh, okay. Well, there, it was a real thing. That he he had a condition, and and they like people were handling him and like making him act in films. Yeah. When he yeah. was effectively not capable of saying no. Like I noticed the last couple of Bruce Willis movies that I watched, it was they were very bad, very low budget, which surprised me because they had Bruce Willis in them, and then he had like three lines in the whole movie. Yeah. He'd be in it a lot, but he only had a few lines. And so I was not shocked to find out that he was in the shape that he's in. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that just fit the bill perfectly? Like, as soon as you have this really confusing situation, you're like, why is Bruce Willis doing all these, like, movies that get 3.3 on IMDb all of a sudden, where he's got no lines at all, and Netflix is making a killing. Like, all the streaming services are loving it. It's like, oh, that's capitalism. We're just going to exploit this poor man who cannot... Until he somebody dies. got power of attorney who shouldn't have, like... Yeah. He Since 2019... Bruce Willis has been in 22 direct-to-video movies. That's so sad, dude. That is fucked up. That's like taking just, that's abuse. I mean. Yeah, I was going to say, it's borderline elder abuse because he's he's got something gnarly where he's still lucid and he can't. What's that? It's well over the border. Like, literally, some caretaker of his got some power of attorney to sign contracts for him who shouldn't have. And then finally, someone else got, like, 
control of it recently, which is why he retired. Like that has to be the situation. Yeah. Well, if if what I heard was true, he has he has something like like locked in syndrome where he was lucid and like aware of his surroundings, but not able to engage really. Isn't it frontotemporal so, like, dementia? It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought that's what I read. Yeah. Sorry, I've totally derailed this. My bad, you guys. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that's, and that's actually almost no, since awful. 2019. Even before that, in a couple of other years, he had a bunch more movies I've never even heard of. Honestly, some of these are just he. No, just, I was just trying to make the point that this is how the streaming companies will make their money if you let them. So take it back if you could, Claire, to like what we should do. Uh, or what the unions should do to prevent these companies from being this exploitative. Honestly, it's hardline negotiations. And SAG and WGA are doing exactly what they need to be doing in this moment. Um, When you say hardline negotiations, do you mean credible threats on their life? uh, No. (laughs) That is frowned on, as far as I understand. But no, what I mean by hardline negotiations is they're not not settling. Um, (laughs) Not to disparage my union, but one of the big frustrations was we had our contract negotiations two years ago for uh, what's called the basic agreement and the area standards agreement, because we have two primary contracts that govern the basic governs Los Angeles and the ASA kind of covers everything else. I've got a lot of opinions about that. They're both terrible in my opinion. (laughs) Um, But what seemed to happen was our leadership settled with the AMPTP instead of drawing a line in the sand and saying, no, your terms are unacceptable. This is what we need. This is what we want. And we're not going to agree to anything less than that. So SAG and WGA are both asking for things like uh, a wage rise that is commensurate with inflation, which is never offered to us for some reason. It's weird. So we actually end up taking a loss when we get these new contracts sometimes. Um, what, what even is surplus value? <laughs> uh, let me dig into my notes here. Hold on. Uh, well, I just want to add one note about Bruce Willis. Apparently he made $2 million for all of those movies for two days work of 15 minutes of screen time. Wow. Now Sorry, I, I was feeling bad for him, but I don't know. On the Bruce Willis thing, I was reading something today and I don't know if it was him or I'm just getting this mixed up, but I heard he actually copyrighted his own image. Which is an interesting that tactic. Could be right. I know it's somebody, and it's somebody with uh, some degree of fame that actually copyrighted their. Or no, it might be. No, Looking it's Samuel up, Jackson that has a restriction on the time frame that his digital likeness can be used. I think it is Bruce Willis that copyrighted his image. Um, I mean, I guess if you're a big enough actor, you can afford to do that. But oh, like, absolutely, background <laughs> actors are not going to be able to to do no. that. No, and the thing is, is a lot of people get into the industry like their foot in the door is being background sometimes, and then they can like work their way up to getting lines and sort of progress that way. But this whole digital scan thing would just totally fuck that up. Also, I'm sorry, I don't know if we can swear Bru- on here, but it, I it was like a sailor. <laughs> it was Bruce. It was Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis sold his rights to. A deep fake company so that they no! could use it like this. Oh, wow. Bruce, baby. A, di- a digital twin. <laughs> no, he did that. <laughs> when yeah, did that happen? I guess it would be a pertinent question. 2022. So probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Oh, God. That's such a bummer. Uh, yeah. So Bruce Willis will be the first subject of that Black Mirror episode. Yeah. It, yes. Entirely yeah. possible. Well, that's and. Right. There's a, a whole bunch of threads on these Facebook groups that I'm a part of where somebody asks, like, if you're a background actor, have you ever been scanned for a project? And a lot of people, that's happened within the last year, year and a half. And some of them aren't sure necessarily what was in their background waiver and what, or voucher and what they agreed to. So it's very possible this has already begun. 
Well, and that's the thing about that Black Mirror episode. What makes it so ridiculous, or not ridiculous, so not ridiculous, is that part of it is that it ends up being in a person's contract when they signed up for Netflix. Like that's like the kind of the joke. It's like you, honestly, you sign the terms the, of conditions, and then yeah, like you're fucked. Terms of service. How many of us yeah, actually read those? No one. Nobody. Nope. Yeah. I don't even know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your eyes the tracks. Um, well, so. Uh, oh yeah, well, you're, oh, no, you're, right. you were, we were talking about the, um, like the Harlan negotiation. Was something you were going to mention about that? Yeah, no, I mean they're they're doing exactly what they need to do to try to to uh, avert this. They're they're drawing a line in the sand over things like the rate of inflation, over use of AI. Um, one of the things the Writers Guild is striking over is these mini mini writers rooms. They're like arguing for minimum staffing levels. Um, and what they're doing is they're withholding their labor. Uh, there's a ton of stuff shut down right now. Like there's only there uh, there are SAG projects that can shoot, but nothing that's in contract with the AMPTP. They're not doing movie promotions. They're not doing convention appearances, which is great because SDCC is this weekend, and so there's no actors promoting anything there. Um, there's a social media blackout on promoting anything. Like they're at a point where they're actually. Uh, trying to hire influencers to come walk red carpets just so they have some kind of celebrity promoting these projects. And the great thing is SAG has an influencers agreement. I was going to ask <laughs> about the influencers thing because I, th- this is like a, just like a small, like little anecdote of something. I just, I, I went to see a movie on uh, Sunday mm-hmm. and it was at an AMC theater. And at the beginning of the theater, they had like those commercial, whatever, like the yeah. thing that they have. And they were interviewing a person who was a TikTok influencer who became a quote unquote actor in the sense that he's in some movie that I've never heard of. Sure. I looked it up and it looks terrible, <laughs> but, but what I wonder is, is how they're going to use TikTok influencers and other people to try and promote things. Well, it's the- already happening. Um, I don't know if you're on the same side of TikTok that I'm on, but I've seen a whole bunch of people talking about how they've been approached by these production companies to come promote movies on the red carpet. And SAG has even sent out an email and put on their strike website that any influencer that ever has even the breath of hope of joining SAG had better not cross the picket line and do that work because that's providing services to a struck company. So if they want to get into acting or they want to get into writing, they absolutely shouldn't touch this stuff with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I was asking you earlier today, someone who's a, a influencer, not in film necessarily, but he was approached by someone from Oppenheimer asking yeah. about, promotion he's like i don't want to do this because it could risk being in the influencer union yeah. later on and so it's i don't know what they're going to do so does this mean that all projects like all these netflix shows and everything that's had a season coming out next year are just on hold everything so production is on hold like i can tell you i've got actor friends of mine that have uh as soon as the strike was announced they walked off shows in toronto in los angeles in louisiana all over the country um, even globally, like they're just they can't work on these shows anymore. So anything that's in active production is shut down unless they're working with like equity actors from the UK or foreign non-union actors. If they're using SAG people, the SAG people aren't shooting. Um, if it's already done, like if they're already done filming, then it's probably going to go through the post process and release. But any SAG actors that are in that won't be promoting it. So it'll be whatever marketing plan they can come up with without having anybody talking about it. So it's going to it's going to hurt their profits in the sense of movies that are coming out soon. Right. And they can't promote them the same way. And so they're, they're going to start feeling it. Yeah. I think that it should hurt more than their profits. And if they start filming without SAG actors, I, I do think it's OK 
to start shooting. <laughs> shooting Filming. film. Shooting film. Of course. Yeah, of course. What do you think I meant? <laughs> I mean, I would love to see some guillotines on the front line just in case anybody from SAG or WJ is listening. I think that would just send a really nice message. I saw a, a, a video of some pro, of some picket line somewhere where they had brought a guillotine. I, I oh wish I could find God, it. When I saw it on glorious. Instagram. I'm just saying, if we get some IATSE people behind it, we have no fabricators. We got welders. We got props people, art department. Let's just That's make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you already, have you already seen, I know that it's only like a couple days old, especially for the, like for SAG, as there already, like this reminds me of like with the UPS strike that might be happening soon. Yeah. Is that big, big, com- big media companies like, the Economist and Wall Street Journal, like, what will happen if they strike? It's bad for the economy. Like, mm-hmm. what will be the angle? I think you realize too. I know. Well, what, what's, the, do you, do you, what's up? No, say. You I, more I, connected. Well, uh, Claire, do you want to, or should I? I didn't actually hear what you said because you guys were kind of stepping over oh. each other. Oh yeah, we're, we're assholes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the, the, he was talking about the the UPS strike, and yeah. I said that's more connected than I think he realizes because uh, in IOTC we work hand in hand with teamsters hell like, yes we do if if our teamsters went on strike it does not matter who else is coming to work that production is not happening well and that's part well, of what's shutting down these productions also is that teamsters won't cross a picket line so one of the biggest like you've asked what you can do to support the strikes one of the biggest thing is getting bodies on the line um yes there's 160,000 sag members but that's across a very broad geographical area so if you want to support and you live in Los Angeles or New York or somewhere where you know that there's going to be a picket line happening against a production, show the fuck up. The more people that are on the line, the longer they can hold out and do this. Striking is hard. It's exhausting. Like you're striking for set hours in Los Angeles. It's hot as hell. The air quality is terrible in New York. I'm sure it's the same. So they need people to relieve others so that they can rest and take a break. So and as yep. long as there's a line there, those trucks don't move. And if those trucks don't move, neither does the production. Yeah, part of my actually my my curiosity there, which is also that's also very good advice, is that the media will try and demonize the worker as they always Absolutely. do. Absolutely. I wonder what the framing will be. Obviously, we don't want to give them any good ideas if they're listening. But just sure. the idea, like you're saying, that there's already people bootlicking the like Netflix CEO and these other. Of yeah. course, there's always going to be those people, but people. I feel like people see, watch TV, they go to movies. Like this mm-hmm. is something that they will miss because they won't get it. And you wonder if people will have more sympathy than another. I mean, probably strikes. one of one of the um, one of the things I really hate is that I'm seeing Ayatsi being held up as this kind of sacrificial lamb. Like, look at the poor crew; they're not working. Do you really want to take food out of their mouths? And at least for the most part, the rest of us are like, no, fuck it, get it. We're behind you 100. percent But I I don't know how it's going to be framed. I, I mean, for the UPS strike, that one's a little easier to predict. But as far as ours goes, we're not really doing anything that affects the day to day person that much. I mean, in fact, it's True. almost impossible for a layperson to cross a picket line. Like you have to be in a really niche uh, line of work to even come close to crossing a picket line. Like there's no boycott being called for yet. You know, they're not. Nobody's asking for people to cancel their streaming services or to not go see movies. Because those things actually do show that we have value and that our work has value to these companies rather than just like whatever AI bullshit they choose to to pop off with. But yeah, I don't know how they're going to try to pitch it to um, 
the general public because honestly, so far the AMPTP's job uh, attempts at that have been terrible. Like Disney villain, cartoon, Scooby Doo shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the dude going on TV. Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, um, so I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but um, I haven't worked in IOTC in a, in a little bit. There just hasn't been a lot around town for us here. But I, I uh, remember the last contract negotiation. When is, when is the next one? And, and <laughs> is, is there anyone already like looking ahead yes. at, uh, you know? And, next yeah. year. It's next year. Our contracts expire next fucking year. So the way this is going to go is it was WGA, DGA, SAG, Teamsters, then us. <laughs> this could so, go for a minute. Hell yeah. I mean, yeah. I hope it goes on as long as possible. I definitely do not need any more Marvel movies in my life. Like I will be fine without those. I will say those those put thousands of people to work, so I can't shit on them too too much. True, like, true. I mean, literally no, thousands. I mean, I can. <laughs> yes, military propaganda. I understand, but also it puts a lot of people to work. It gets a lot of people health insurance and retirement pensions. So there's a there's a place for them. I have been very happy to work on some very terrible projects. Like, yeah. I'm getting paid. I don't like you're paying me to work, not to like say that this is going to be a good watchable tv show i worked on the sex lives of college girls last summer like that paid my bills <laughs> i've seen that i show. did want to ask what the um disney villain levels of trying to demonize <laughs> film workers was well it started with that idiotic quote from Iger or not from Iger but I can't no it was like some unnamed studio executive about how we're prepared to wait it out until the writers are losing their homes it is a cruel and ne Ron necessary Roman, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he had to take that video down I'm so mad about that it was it's mm, everywhere it was beautiful. now it doesn't matter no, I know. it doesn't matter it's everywhere <laughs> I, Wait, so I was was he encouraging that. us to burn the guy's house down, or was he threatening to do it himself? I think Honestly, he'll go with it's you. Ron Perlman. It could go either way. A chaperone you. <laughs> to be honest, Ron Perlman was doing a real Brandon moment right there with that video. <laughs> I hear oh, lovely, lovely things about <laughs> yeah, that man. Yeah, you, dude. Well, there's well, a lot of violence that needs to be done. Yeah, sorry for Claire. <laughs> you're, you're not familiar with Brandon, but like. Brandon is the I know the archetype, okay? incredible threat guy. Like he loves to just do this to us, and we have to edit a lot of Brandon out, unfortunately, or just a lot of bleeps. It's, it's become my shtick. That's great. I love it. Well, it's one of those things too. I was thinking about this because uh, Ron Perlman is always in Guillermo del Toro movies. I'm thinking like, oh well, now they're going to make a movie in a couple years about this, and <laughs> I don't know something. They'll have to let's, find. Let's a turn way the head of studios into the behead of studios. <laughs> That's a good one, dude. I like that. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? I don't know, oh, I'm, I'm good at doing things too. Scooby Doo shit. Um. So yeah, that was the that was there was that quote, and then Bob Iger like said to the press about how these requests, like the demands from WGA and SAG, are unreasonable, while literally at a, an event that's called Summer Camp for Billionaires. And he makes $275 million a year. Again, I want to just draw you guys back to that statistic that 87% of SAG members don't make $26,000 a year. 87%. I, I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize it was that bad. Because yeah. I've heard working screenwriters talking about how they like 
part of their struggle is not being able to do two shows a year, which is right. what they need to even be able to support themselves. Right. So it, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that they were a top, that those people alone were a top 13%. Like, so WJ is a little bit different. Their pay structure is very different. Um, again, I, this is one I wish I knew a little bit more about. I just started digging into it when they went on strike. Um, and on paper, they look like they make a ton of money. But the problem is, is that they're asked to do so much free work as part of their job. And they can be put on hold for months on end by a production where they can't take any other work because they've got some kind of exclusivity clause. Um, but yeah, and I mean, these are it's like I said, it's gig work for me. It's gig work. Like I'm out of work until God knows when because of this. I've, I've effectively had to leave the union because I, I went into it when there was just all the work, like the, the work was just there to be had, like right. pick it off the tree. And uh, our state has like some tax incentives that bring stuff in and those are, are gone for the moment. And now with everything else going on, like there, there hasn't, I started looking for work in IATSE almost a year ago. And after six months, I just started looking for a different job. So here's the like, thing about six months to a year ago, the AMPTP started throttling back work to put the squeeze on everyone in the industry in advance of the WGA negotiations. We felt it everywhere, absolutely everywhere. They cut down on the number of productions that they had actively going so that people would be hungry and broke by the time these negotiations happened so they'd be less likely to support the strikes. It I knew everyone work. was feeling it. I didn't know that it was intentional in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely everywhere. Um, I have friends in Los Angeles. I have friends in Texas. I have friends everywhere. And absolutely everywhere. Was oh, look at me. Place. I have so many friends. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I've been looking for an opportune moment to do this, but I want to point out two things that came up on a recent episode I recorded with uh, the Intervention Podcast. We were doing Chapter 10 of Das Capital, and Marx goes into the workday and how much of your workday is devoted to just reproducing your own labor, but then also how much of the rest of that workday is devoted to then producing surplus value for your employer. And Marx makes two really important points in there. He's careful to note that capitalists are not evil people. And I know it's very enticing. It's really sexy to like try and paint Bob Iger and all these billionaires as like really evil people. And to an extent, can, can we say not inherently evil? I mean, they may have, what do you call it, developed into that? Maybe have like adopted that kind of personality where they have like groomed themselves in a way to believe in their own hype, to believe that they have like really earned their position through some hard work of their own and that they're not just vampire like <laughs> leeching off of other people's labor. But that is just, again, still not just a natural, you. it's a natural reproduction of capital. Like it just is what happens in the capitalist system. Like these people have to fulfill that role. And if Bob Iger wasn't doing it, someone else would fill his place as we all know. Absolutely. And so that's the point that people have to kind of realize is that it, it is the system. It is not the individual's. Yeah, and stop trying to fill his place and start trying to fill his grave. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, I love that. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen. If we eat just one billionaire, the rest of them are going to fall into line really fast. It's only going to take one. Just I'm going to be honest with you. I'm vegan, but I'm willing to waste food. <laughs> <laughs> you can always feed animals with that. There's options. The other point that came up in our chapter 10 episode, and Marx did not make this point, to be fair, maybe he did in a way that we don't understand yet, but it was with AI and uh, Levi, who's like just incredibly intelligent, very impressive on all of Nick's episodes. I love that guy. And he was making the point that 
what is the really scary thing about AI right now with its effects on the internet is that it's literally going to break the internet because AI is starting to feed off of the things that AI is generating. And there is going to be a point where we do not have access anymore to the original internet that was generated by humans that the AI needed to scrape to begin with. And once you get to that point, the internet becomes almost entirely useless. Yeah. And he was describing this as if it was like a really dismal kind of scary thing. And I started in the midst of like, I don't know, span of 30 seconds to to welcome the end of the internet, considering how useless <laughs> and just shitified it has become, even in the, the 20 years that I've been using it. So I, I kind of welcome that. <laughs> but like, it's just funny how these things from a really kind of dry episode on Das Capital come to be relevant once again in the modern day. I, I personally I just have been reading the uh, Busy Workers Handbook for the Apocalypse. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. focused less on uh, Marx's contributions and more on Kaczynski's. <laughs> well, yeah. the, thing, the thing that I thought was funny is there was an Onion headline today that made me think of this exact conversation was last factual piece of information deleted from internet. And it, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like, couldn't be more perfect exactly what you just said. What, what Levi's point is that the internet is like cannibalizing itself, mm-hmm. I think, in some sense. And it's, it's an interesting place as what the AI will do in these industries. Because I think you said, Claire, earlier is that there are a lot of places where AI could be useful that they're not using it. You know, you right. could, rather than replacing people, their likeness, or replacing even a producer, there's lots of tasks that probably could be, re- could be Absolutely. done there's more all, efficiently. There's always stuff that could be automated. Art should not be automated. Did you imagine, could you guys imagine a system where a resource like the internet, which could be used to enlighten all of humankind, is then instead used to generate advertisements for hot milks in your area instead because it's more profitable? <laughs> or could you imagine a situation in which art that should be used to critique all of society and raise people to like the level of class consciousness that they should be at is instead used to generate more and more military propaganda in the form of Marvel movies because that is more profitable? Try and bring it back to our uh, topic at hand, but I'll hand it back to you, Claire. I think that's just violently American. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying, but what was that about hot milfs? I mean, I'm not against hot milfs in my area, but I just don't think there's as many as this website is leading me to believe. Like, I've been looking, and they're just... Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I appreciate the effort that you went through to get us back on track <laughs> for me to immediately derail it again. Well, the... the um. Thanks, Evan. Well, I, I had a thought about the AI, but I'm trying to remember what it was. It's like, I mean, just some of the, you say like art shouldn't be used to be AI, but there are areas within production and maybe like budgeting and things that probably could be used. Like you take, sure. if you inputted all the budgets from past movies and you're, of course, eventually it's going to be used more insidiously where there's going to be like, how can we pay people less? I you think know? part of the problem is that there's just absolutely no fucking regulation on it right now. It's just being allowed to expand and do whatever completely unchecked, which is what's leading to these abuses. And the, all the plagiarism, it's fucking plagiarism software at this point. In a rare moment where I'm not just making like blind threats, like I am going to say that I don't think that AI has any role in any like aspect of work for as long as like everyone has to work just to pay the bills. Like I can agree with that. Yeah. As long as there are people like it, once we get to the point as a society where like we can automate work and we all just kind of get the vibe out and do what we want to. Sure, automate the shit out of it. Let AI figure out all the bills and schedules it wants to. But for the time being, every one of those schedules, every one of those bills that needs to be paid is an accountant or a secretary, a a worker 
yeah. that is having to do that job. And AI has no role serving that function. I agree. Yeah, under, I think I did a while back, I did an episode on Ex Machina and, you know, the idea of AI came up and it's under like a capitalist system. There's no incentive for the capitalists to make your life easier and pay you and let you have a four hour work day so that the AI can do the rest, right? They're just going to find a way to squeeze you and still use the AI inefficiently, unregulated because yeah. unfettered, unregulated is their way. If, yeah. If, if AI learns to do my job, I don't get to work less. I get to work for less because the boss suddenly is like, well, you know, I, I can do it cheaper with the AI. You're lucky you're even here. Yep. True. It's so true. It really comes down to ownership. I mean, that was a really core contradiction that I had to figure out uh, and took the long way because people don't explain this to you unless you go seeking out Marxism. But when you find out that people, I don't know, in the Mad Men times were like saying, oh, in the 2020s, when we have flying cars and jets in times, we'll only have to work four hours a week. And I was then you just figure thinking out about that. Why productivity continued to increase, but wages did not, why working time did not decrease along with that. And it literally was the matter of ownership, like who owned those increases in the productivity. Who, and it who, who was the economist? Wasn't that like Keenan or something? Keynes, Keynes. Yeah, in uh, the system of Keynesian economics, he predicted that by roughly this year, like probably a few years ago or, you know, give or take five years, he was predicting that work would be autom automated to the degree where most people would work like a few hours a week, more out of, you know, the, the need to feel productive. Right? And he, he was not a, a communist. He was not a Marxist. That was simply like his calculus. He, he crunched the numbers and was just like, yeah, in 150 years or whenever he was alive, there would no longer be a reason for people to work to the extent that we do. And honestly, he probably would have hit the nail on the head if people hadn't figured out advertising and how to make us want shit we didn't need. Yeah. Yeah. Or if really, if people just had had the consciousness to own enough of their labor where they pushed back and said, no, this productivity belongs to us. Like, even if you own the machines on paper, a worker invented those machines. An engineer created that innovation. Like, it was not done by the capitalists. And that is an important thing that we always need to realize and then realize that we can reassert at any point again to bring it back to our topic at hand like the IATSE members and everyone who is on strike can just reassert that we own products of this innovation that is called ai because again some low-level computer technician developed the formulas and algorithms to have ai to begin with and so workers should own the results of that productivity which is the increased wages that go along with having to take less time to make that profitable work Sorry, Brandon, what'd you have? Oh, all good. Um, to bring this really uh, acutely back to, to where we're at, um, it makes me think of, uh, you know, two years ago and, and change, maybe right around two years ago, when I first, I had only been working in IATSE for a few months. I didn't even have all of my days in to like become a member. Uh, the strike was looming and I want to hear Claire's feedback on this, but uh, <laughs> what we know, like... Dude, I, locally for, for a solid week, I was optimistic, but not alone in thinking that we might wildcat because people were yeah. upset. Oh, yeah. But, no, um, that, was, no, that was very true here, too. My, uh, the specific thing that I'm uh, getting at is just that I heard so many people and, and the bootlicker types, the people who weren't necessarily yeah. doing the bootlicking, but you can only imagine that they were just afraid to do it out loud. Uh, a lot of people were just hoping, like, Oh man, I, I hope I get to keep working my 10 and 12 hour days. I hope I keep the long hour. They, they wanted a little bit better money, but they did want to keep working the insane hours because that was where they were making the like big money. Sure. And I'm like, why don't you just ask for like 
a lot more money. And they're like, well, that's not realistic. Take yeah. the big bag. I'm like, you don't, bro, wouldn't you make a lot more money and like see your kids more than yeah. once a week? Yeah, no, there is, there's definitely some of that here too. I don't know. I think a lot of it also still comes down to, well, no, because I guess the LA people were doing it too. I was going to say some of it comes down to the, to the ASA versus the basic people, but no, like I, I definitely saw that from all kinds of people. I think we're so conditioned to this lifestyle that it's hard to imagine anything else, but also, yeah, those overtime paychecks with golden hour on it. Those are nice. Those are fucking sweet. And I, I had, I had a, a, a paycheck for 72 hours without having worked the weekend where I didn't get a break. So I had um, yeah. like 40 meal penalties and that was, yeah. they were adhering to the new contract. So at, for, dude, uh, I don't know, for a hot minute, I was making $210 an hour. Yeah. And it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great when that happens, but like at what fucking cost? Yeah. I worked 72 hours in five days without a break. Yeah. Don't look up what um, sleep deprivation does to your body. Oh, we're very uh, aware. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. I'm, I'm mental ill. I was well aware of that before I see. Documentary about that shit, specifically as it pertains to the film industry. I can't remember what the is, name uh, of off the top of my head, but what's golden hour? Gold. Okay, so there's an overtime structure in the contract. For your first eight hours, you're at your regular rate. After eight to, uh, I want to say it's twelve is time and a half, and then anything after twelve is what's called golden hour because you're at double time. Mm. Okay. And uh, real qu- quick, meal penalties are when they don't give you a, a, a lunch break at all or any like chance to sit down or anything. Uh, meal penalties actually just when it's late. So if you're in, okay, if, well, if, you were, you on my- were you on production or off production? Usually off, but I did okay. uh, spend a few weeks on. That's the difference. I'm sure this the, is different there, but at least for on production, you have to be broken for lunch within six hours of your call time, which is the time you report to crew parking. If that doesn't happen within increments of 30 minutes, 30 minutes now, yes, I'd have, I'd have to look at the contract, but it's 30 minutes. There's a meal penalty, which is a financial penalty to the production for breaking you late. And for every time it keeps happening, it starts increasing slowly. Now we, that was one of, that was one of our contract wins. We got slightly better meal penalties because before it was something like eight fucking dollars. Like nobody cares about that. And now it's like increasing up and towards like the 12, 15, 20 and so on. After 20 mil penalties, it's your hourly every half an hour plus your actual. But if you're, if you're, in, gold, if you're in golden hour, that means you're getting golden hour every half an hour. plus your, <laughs> That's when I was getting $210 an hour. And it was it was sick for sure. But like to be clear, 20 mil penalties are no, it was more than 20. I was I was almost at 40 mil penalties. Damn that. Yeah. So when I misspoke and said, like, it's when you don't get a, a, a like a break, it's because for five days for the entire work week, I didn't get a break. I worked from when I showed up till I, like one of our days was 18 hours on set. Yeah, that'll, that'll it was, happen. It was a fucking rough day, man. I will say I haven't had an 18 hour day in quite a while, so that has gotten better. But a normal day for me is anywhere it was 17 and a half. I'm not, though. Like, my very first union day was 18 hours. The very first day I ever worked on a union set, 18 hours. That check was great. (laughs) You find that making over, like, $100 to $200 an hour will keep you going in those kind of situations where you're like, damn, I could really just use some calories in my system right now. Like, It softens the flow a bit. But, uh, no, sometimes I just want to go fucking home. 
yeah, the, the point is, like, sure, like, a lot of people are stoked about meal penalties for a couple hours because it's a few bucks for free. But, like, meal penalties are supposed to be it's supposed to say to production, like, no, you don't get to do this. And if you if you do this, you have to pay. And what they it actually does is just has them factor that into the budget. They do. They absolutely factor it into the budget. It's a line item now. Like the only place I don't see that happen as much as with is with like forced calls, which is when they invade your rest period because we were supposed to have a set rest period. But even then, depending on the size of the production, they won't care about that and they'll just eat the cost. Forced calls can suck my dick. Absolutely. 110%. I would want to talk about something that is for a minute. So, I mean, tell me about them. Or, or, or no, should we, should we not do real again? Like, well, go ahead. If you want to share, I, I, I was curious, but now I forgot what it was. So you go ahead. Oh, no, like a, a, a forced call is when they invade your rest period and your rest period is not that long to begin with. It's supposed to be 10 hours, might be 12 hours now. I need to look the contracts again. Anyway, it's a certain it period of time. It was 11, now it's 10. It was, hmm, I heard we got better rest periods. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, got, I flipped it in my head. It okay. was nine, right. now it's 10. Right, 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 right. Okay. So now we have 10 hours in which we are supposed to be allowed to rest between the time that we wrap, which is the time we end our day, to our call time, which, again, is the time that we report to work. Um, A forced call is invading that rest period. So, again, it's basically a fine. And we know that fines just mean it's legal for people with money. Um, So basically, basically go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't see it as much anymore, at least with the shows that I've been on. But there have been shows that I've been on where they were just like, okay, you're on a forced call. Great. Here's that little, here's that extra money. Uh, get less yeah. sleep. Thanks. Bye. Um, especially like it really sucks when you're on location somewhere where you've got like an hour drive or more each way. And that's very common where I live. Um, because then, I was you know, happy. We, I don't okay. know about you guys. We, we get hotels like that now. Like we do um, too. Th- sometimes. Okay. Um, oh. there, th- I mean, not, not sometimes like if we say it's a safety issue, I'm concerned for safety. We'll get a hotel. But they're going to bitch about it. Yeah. I will say the force call thing sounds a lot like what every other employer is doing to people who don't have a union with the on-call thing. And this has been going on for a very long time. Like, I just, I feel like there's something particularly demeaning about someone demanding your time in that kind of on-call fashion for something that you know is not like a life-sustaining, like life-or-death kind of career. Like, yeah, it's one thing when we're talking about like the railroad workers and their union going on strike because... They just want to see sick days, see their families, like have any kind of time off at all. And that kind of thing you could say like, oh, well, these people are delivering like life-saving medicine. It's like, well, when you're talking about like making a movie, why do you really need to demand people's time to this level? Because it comes down to the the budget. Sometimes it's it's just a cost evaluation. It's cheaper to ask a couple of people to invade their rest period. No, it is. It it comes down to poor planning. The only time you end up in a forced call is because something went wrong. Or the schedule was unrealistic. That's it. Yeah, they're planning badly and they just realize they can solve that problem with money. Which, again, for the people involved, even if you're getting that extra money, which you are lucky to do, and then people, of course, will use it against you who don't work in the private sector, who want to bootlick, will say, oh, well, at least you're getting extra money for being on call. Which is like, I can totally picture that because I remember being 16 and like, yeah, fucking 2000. Go ahead and do the math there. I'm pushing 40. At my (laughs) first job at a movie theater, being told I should be on call. For like no, six oh hours God. of my day, I'm like, for a movie theater job, I'm an usher. I work at the cashier. I hand people popcorn. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. I don't want to be on call. My mom is a nurse, like saving people's lives, and she's mm-hmm. on call. That's a real thing to be on call for. I'm not going to be on call for the movie theater. I mean, 
definitely not for making movies. That's a little higher paid, and I could see why you would want to do that and for the the pay raise. But still, again, it just comes down to that level of like alienation and being demeaning because you know this is not something that is super necessary for like maintaining society. It is for entertainment. The fact that they build it into the budget and just know that they can demand your time like that is incredibly condescending. Oh, we are absolutely devalued. <laughs> you said that it's like a line item in the budget. So they're intentionally to save money in some areas and then not save money in others is to push you to higher levels, to work through lunch, to work later. It comes it's down to their decided. schedule. They want to save money on the schedule. So I work on a lot of low budget, quote unquote, low budget. That's like $3 million features. And overall, the schedule that I see for those is 18 days for at least 100 pages. And that is bonkers. It means that we're, our days are packed. And if anything goes wrong, then our schedule's fucked. So that's become the norm. Um, and that happened on a TV show I was on as well that was not a cheap show by any stretch of the imagination. When I started there, the episodes were eight, nine days. for It was, I think it was an hour long. And by the time I quit the show, they were down to like five. So it's get it done faster. It, it, it comes down to getting it done faster because they don't want to spend the money on the crew being there for a longer period of time to make sure it's done efficiently and well. They want to just cram as much as they can into a short space of time and maybe pay a couple of hundred bucks in a forest call because somebody wrapped late. I mean, this is like every industry, right? You, they want you to do more work in less time, but better, more efficiently. And right. these things are not possible in, in most right. cases. If the more faster you're doing any job, you're going to make mistakes, which will then lead Absolutely. you to have to take more time. And then if Especially you just spend- if you're tired. You'll make more mistakes if you're tired. I don't know how I could possibly make more mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was also kind of greatly diminishing the stakes that go on with like movie making because people do get hurt. It is dangerous. Like when you say you make mistakes when you're tired, like people's safety is at stake there when you're talking about, especially about like things that involve stunts. Yeah. Or even just like putting up lights. Like, I, I don't actually know what these people do. I've worked in lighting. What does the best boy grip do? Do they put something heavy over people's heads that could potentially fall on them and kill them if they were tired? They retired? do. So, yeah. so you got to take care of your best boy grips. Yeah. Well, on the, on the last movie I was on, which was honest to God, a unicorn job. One of the best shows I've ever worked in my life. Everybody was happy, which I've never seen, by the way. And I've been doing this for 15 years. Even on that show, we had... I want to say it was an electrician or no, I'm sorry. It was a grip dropped a camera package on his foot, broke his toe, like smashed it. And that's on a show where we're not working insane hours. It was like 10 hours from camera up that we were wrapping, which is unheard of. Usually it's at least 12 from camera wrap. No, it was so good. God, I cannot sing these guys praises enough. I want them to come back quick. I'm going to bitch about that for a (laughs) second too. The fucked up thing about IASI to me always has been like, we established the eight hour workday, what, like a hundred and how many, 50 fucking years ago. And mm-hmm. IOTC members dream of a 10 hour day. Like that, it just sounds like, like that's, that's the unicorn as she just said it. No, fuck that. We get 14, 16, 18 hour days. Yeah. And our union, you know what they say? Like, well, don't worry. We're going to get you paid. Well, <laughs> like, I want to go home sometimes. Every, I think every single film worker is. Suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, honestly, it is an abusive environment for everyone, whether that is actors, whether that's crew. My God, the way production assistants are treated is criminal. 
and they're not unionized. Uh, there's yeah, a movement like right now. Nothing. Um, I'm going to just plug stand with production right now. They're great. They're trying to organize the PAs. But production assistants get shat on more than any other department in the entire industry. It's treated as an entry-level position. Frequently, they're only paid minimum wage. Uh, sometimes they're not subject to overtime. Um, I have seen more PAs on the verge of exhaustion than any other department on the shows that I've worked on. It's despicable. And they're just treated as less than by everybody. And background it's a artists are too. Thing. It's yeah, it's totally a paying your dues thing. A lot of times they're young. Um, like I'm not saying all, it should be. I'm saying it's treated that way. Yeah. No, no, no. I know. No, I agree with you 100. percent But they're they're frequently young and they're frequently not white. You will see more BIPOC people in the production assistant department than anywhere else. We do have a big issue with that in the in the union. Uh oh, God, Mike. I kind of wanted to ask, like, if we could start to move towards wrapping it up. Um, if there was anything else you have left in your notes, Claire, or Evan, any questions you had to ask. But also, the thing that I kind of wanted to ask, is there anything people can do? Are we to the level yet of donating to strike funds? Or yes. are the strike funds are still well-funded? Yeah. And um, where should people go if they want to do that? Yeah, starting to, to donate to the strike funds. There is... Mm, hold on. Let me pull some websites up. I mean, links will, of I course, be in the show notes. I just, uh, if you want to mention anything off the top of your head, that's fine. I want, I believe WGA, at least on their social media, they have a few things, funds you can donate to. Uh, the Entertainment Community Fund is the big one. It used to be called the Actors Fund, um, but that's open for emergency financial assistance to anybody in the industry that's affected by the strike. You do have to prove that you qualify for it. So there's a few hoops to jump through, but that's a big one. Um, and then the other is Real Families. Uh, they're another nonprofit that's there to support people in the industry. Um, as far as supporting the strikes, like I said before, show up, talk to people about it. Um, the more people that understand fully what's at stake right now, the more support we can get from the general public, the better. Um, there's ways you can contact the AMPTP and tell them that you support the strikes. Um, nobody's asking for boycotts. Like I said earlier, also don't, don't like, if you can still, obviously if you can still afford to pay for streaming services, continue to do so that shows the value in our labor. Um, and this is my own personal one. Do not use and propagate the use of generative AI. Stop fucking around with mid-journey. Stop posting that plagiarized shit online. Literally today, I saw someone in the Portland film community asking about AI programs to generate an animated film. Do not do that. That is just so unbelievably awful in the light of everything that's going on and everything that's at stake and things that people are putting on the line. They're putting their lives and livelihoods on the line right now to try to protect this industry. Um, well, you don't think it's cool if you use my crypto scab in the, at this time oh right my now? God. Like, God. And, and don't forget that it's morally okay to dox uh, studio executives. Yes, That's I will in the agree. Show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I want, when I see the show notes for this, I want to see every single executive's address, please. And their neck size. You kind of addressed it, Claire, but you said we're not at the point, I guess, of boycotting like streaming services or movies or anything yet. But So first of all, always take direction if there's a strike going on from the affected uh, entity. Take direction from them on how they want to be supported. That's like That's been one of the big things that I've had to talk to people about within my union as well. But the problem is, is that canceling those services is a double-edged sword. These entities, the AMPTP, all of these studios like to use data to manipulate the narrative. And if people are canceling their streaming services and they're not going to see the movies, then they have every right to go, well, see, there's no value in what you do. People don't want to see it. They won't pay for it. So uh, we don't have anything. We, we can't afford to give you what you're asking for. 
So I get it. Like uh, that, that is a huge argument is hit them in the wallet, hit them where it counts. But these particular motherfuckers love to yeah. use that to manipulate the narrative. Even if That's you send the letter. This is what I want to so, know. Keep enjoying your shows. Like I, I got shows I like to watch myself. But don't don't hit them in the wallet. The wallet's a lot of padding. Go for the knees or the <laughs> neck. Honestly, the neck. Yeah. Um, or the house. <laughs> or the house. Yeah, ha- houses just. Uh... People don't realize this. A lot of their houses are made from wood, which is really flammable. Well, <laughs> California as a whole is very flammable. That's fair. <laughs> Make sure it's isolated to their area. Yeah, no collateral damage. Oh, and then the other thing, too, is, like, just keep an eye on everything, because like I said earlier, also, IATSE goes into negotiations next year, and we need people to keep the same energy for us. Please. Yeah, I got another. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any better to end it on. Um, clear unless there's anything else that you want to plug. Any relevant links, anything that you want to tell us will be in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow through on those links. And, yeah, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. it was My really pleasure. Great. This was like, great. Super fun. Yeah, and as you can probably tell, I'm very passionate about this subject. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As it should be. I'm totally blase. Fair. Touche. <laughs> I think what you need to do is blase their houses. But. I want to murder you, but I'm just going to be very chill about it. <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> I I'm playing hard to get when I'm murdering someone very effective. <laughs> Would that be insult to injury in that case? So- like you matter to me so little. Uh, bleeding on me. That's that stab. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Good luck editing me this episode. <laughs> <laughs>